This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. For this Palm Sunday, somewhat shortened sermon, we're going to make the focus, the theme, the words from Paul's letter to the Philippians that Jesus was obedient unto death. There was a soldier from World War II who won a medal for acts of bravery. Whenever there was a dangerous assignment, he'd be the first to volunteer. So a fellow soldier wounded out on the battlefield, he would be the one to go out and bring that soldier back, even in the face of enemy fire. When the war was over, they asked him, how were you able to do this? What gave you the courage? And he said, every morning when I woke up, I would convince myself that today would be the day I would die, that I would be shot and killed this day, and I wouldn't leave for breakfast until I had accepted this truth. And having already accepted that I was going to die that day, I could take any dangerous assignment without hesitation. We hear the story of Jesus' passion, his suffering, his death, and we wonder, how did he do it? How was he able to suffer and to endure? How was he able, when the time came, to choose and to persevere in that choice, especially knowing he did not have to die, or that he had the power, I should say, at any moment to say, I, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm coming down from the cross. He could have done that, but he remained on the cross. How is it that he was able to suffer and to be obedient even unto death? The answer, he was able to suffer and die on that Friday on that tree because before then, already, by the time he was sitting on the donkey, entering into the city of Jerusalem the Sunday before, he had already died. Indeed, long before, he had already died in the sense that he had let go of his own claim on his life. From the beginning, Jesus accepted that the purpose of his life was to suffer and die so that others might live. And his obedience was not out of necessity, nor was it out of duty. His obedience was out of love, freely, he took this choice and persevered in this choice out of love for the Father, out of love for you and me. He was able to obey also because he trusted his Father and he had hope that what would happen at the end would be good. And he also had this unshakable, rock-solid grounding in his own identity as the eternal and only begotten Son of God. Nothing could shake that. Even as he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's speaking to the Father who never deserted him in truth. And so, knowing these things, Jesus was free. He was free to lower himself because he knew he would be exalted. He was free to take the form of the slave because he knew that even as he was slave on earth, he was yet king of heaven. He was free to die because he knew he would be raised again, and he was free to give everything because he knew he would gain it all back, plus more, plus you and me. 
Jesus was able to endure suffering. He was able to be obedient unto death because he had already died to himself long before. He had let go of his claim on his own life. And he called his disciples to do the same, which means he calls you and me to do the same. So I have a question for you this morning. Let me ask you, have you accepted that the purpose of your life is to die so that others may live? Do you know that that is your mission, the reason you're here on earth? Jesus said to his followers, pick up your cross and follow me. And the implication was, pick it up so that you would die. Uh, in those days, crosses were not used for decoration. The only reason you would pick up a cross was to die on it. Jesus also said, lose your life. Leave yourself behind if you want to follow me. And the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, he that is Christ, he died for all, that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for us and was raised to life. So Jesus was obedient unto death, and we are called to imitate him and to be obedient unto death. So how do we do this? How do we, like Jesus, accept that the purpose of our life is to die so that others might live? Even practically speaking, how do we lose our life today if I'm not literally being nailed to a cross? How do I, like that World War II soldier, accept my own death daily, even yet while I'm alive? And the answer might surprise you. The answer, and what we're going to focus on for the remainder of this sermon, is that we walk in the virtue of self-acceptance. That feels ironic, doesn't it? Because we're talking about losing self. We're talking about dying to self. And yet I'm telling you that the way to do that is to accept yourself. How can that be? It seems mixed up. Well, first, we have to distinguish between godly self-acceptance and worldly self-realization, self-expression, self-actualization. Those are two very different things. And the main difference between them is that self-acceptance begins with God. It's about me choosing to accept who God made me to be or who God did not make me to be. Whereas the worldly self-realization, self-expression, self-actualization, that begins with me. It is me deciding who I am and going about the task and program of, of trying to convince everybody else, including God, who I am, rather than being the me that God has made me to be. So these things are total opposites. And in fact, self-realization, self-expression, self-actualization oftentimes is the very barrier that keeps godly self-acceptance from happening. And the beginning and foundation of self-acceptance also is with God. The beginning is with God. It's that God accepts you as you are. Isn't that a beautiful thing to know? God accepts you as you are. 
And the virtue of self-acceptance is us joining him in that acceptance. Now, when I say that God accepts you as you are, it doesn't mean that he thinks you're perfect. I mean, are you kidding me? God knows better than you what your imperfections and weaknesses are, but he loves you just the same. And that's the point. He knows all of your failings, your mistakes, your blind spots, the things that you'll never really get better at till the day you die. He knows your sins and the depth of them even more than you do, and yet he loves you to the full. Therefore, self-acceptance for us is letting go of that drive for perfection. It's letting go of the need to have it all together. It's letting go of our fear of failure and being mature enough to accept our imperfections, our weaknesses, our mistakes, to accept them as God already has accepted them. So we accept our limitations. We accept our lives as they are and not as we wish they would be or that at one point in our past we thought they would be at this point in our lives. And I bet everyone in this room, I bet every one of you could list off all the things that you don't like about yourself. And in fact, we're going to do that right now, starting with you, Paul. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> Only for the sake of time. Otherwise, that would be a tremendous exercise. Things about our bodies, things about our personalities, things about our character traits, our role at work, the kind of work that we're in, our financial situation, but at bottom, who we are and who we're not that we wish we were. And maybe that person over there is. But instead of pushing back against our life, we accept our life as it is and as the gift that it is from God. Now, another note, just to be clear, self-acceptance does not mean that we accept our sin. We do not. We do not make peace with our sin. We do not make friends with our sin. We do not try to merely manage our sin or the damage control of our sin. No, we ask Jesus to crucify our sin, and we do everything in our power to get rid of it and out of our lives. As Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever is sinful in you. We do not accept sin, but we do accept that we are sinners. When Christ did not die for no reason, the work of the cross, the forgiveness that is ministered to us by his blood poured out, we need that. And at that bottom, self-acceptance begins with saying, I need the forgiveness and the ministry of the cross. I am a sinner. But the person who's walking in maturity and in the virtue of self-acceptance then is no longer all that surprised or deeply disturbed when we sin or when even new depths of our sin and selfishness are revealed to us. We say, well, I guess I'm not surprised. And we confess and we receive forgiveness, and we move on. So we accept our limits. We accept our weaknesses. We accept our circumstances. We accept that we are sinners, and we accept the gift of our true self. The true self is Jesus at the center, Jesus in me. The true self listens 
to what the Father in heaven says about my life. Who do you say that I am? We ask the Father, and we care more about what he says than what anybody else says. And that means we accept the beautiful gifts that he has given to me without being envious of the ones he has not. And if we bring it back to that phrase, obedience unto death, self-acceptance is so important because you cannot obey the Lord if you fail to accept who you are and who you are not. You, you cannot obey the Lord because instead of obeying the voice of the Lord, you're going to be driven by other voices that are fueled by all the expectations of who you should be. And the voice of God is going to be drowned out by the voices of condemnation and shame for who you're not. And when that moment comes where you do realize and you say, okay, Lord, I accept that I am this or I am not this or I accept that this is my life, that moment is painful. It feels like a death because, in fact, it is. It's an obedience unto death. It's a releasing and a letting go, even as Jesus on the cross let go. But like with Jesus, there is a resurrection, and on the other side of self-acceptance is freedom. Freedom is the word. For freedom, Christ has set us free, says the Apostle Paul. And the more we walk in freedom, accepting our lives, accepting our limitations, the more we are able to accept the limitations and the failings of others. Oh, what a gift we can be to others when we can accept them as they are, knowing that, yes, God is at a work in all of us, sanctifying us and bringing us to completion, but to accept one another. But how can you accept another if you've not accepted yourself? also want to be clear that self-acceptance does not mean that now we're resigning ourselves to a pitiful life. By no means. In fact, God has a work for you to do. He wants to do an amazing thing through you and in your life. But self-acceptance is the pathway to that amazing thing that God wants to do in your life, but what He can't do because you're, folks, you're focused, you're fixated on this amazing thing over there that you'd rather be doing. But self-acceptance allows you the freedom to then live into the calling and to minister and to minister the love of God in the way and to the people that God is asking you to. Jesus' obedience unto death led to the salvation of the world. Your obedience unto death, your self-acceptance, it's not to save the world, and that's actually part of self-acceptance is realizing that. Nevertheless, God has a mighty work for you to do. And it's when you accept who you are and who you're not that you can begin to live into that fully. So if a couple weeks ago, a friend in my, of mine, we were having this conversation. And I was talking to him and basically unloading on him the list of all the things that I, I was not liking about myself at the time. My weaknesses, my blind spots, the fears of well, what if I'm not this? And what if I'm not that? And what if I'll never become that? And he just looked at me, and, and Alex said to me, man, and what if, what if you don't? And what if you aren't? And what if you won't? And at first I thought, well, that would be bad. I don't like that question, Alec. 
But that question stayed with me. It haunted me. And even though I didn't like it at first, ever since that moment, that question has brought me incredible freedom because now whenever I bump up into insecurity or I start comparing myself to others or, or working with my limitations and the weaknesses, I ask that question, well, what if I'm not? What if I'm not that thing? What if I never will be? And Jesus ministers to me this freedom that I'm talking about. And in this freedom, I'm able to bless others. I'm able to love others with the love of God without needing anything for myself in return. I am able to be all gift to them, even as Jesus on the cross was all gift for you and for me. So this week, this holy week, in our services and outside of our services, when you're in the sanctuary and when you're at home in prayer or in dialogue with God, I want you to ask yourself this one thing. What one thing about my life or about myself is it hardest for me to accept? What's the hardest thing in my life or about me? What's the hardest thing to accept? Listen. And when you begin to identify what is that one thing that is the hardest thing for you to accept, then spread out before the Lord all the pain that you're feeling, all the places where it's coming from. Try to name it. And then, again, in our services, when you're under the Word and under the preaching and in the ministry and the worship, but also outside of the services, when you're in prayer and in the Word, after you've identified what's the one thing, listen. Listen to God's voice. Listen to what He wants to say about who you are and who you're not. What does God say about your life and who He made you to be? And once you've listened and once you've heard, then, at some point this week, offer your life all of who you are. Once again, offer yourself upon the altar, obedient unto death. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.